Welcome in to Locked on Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we have a great guest for you guys today. We have Stacy Patton, who writes for the Strickland and is one of the co-hosts of Pod Strickland. And Gavin, I think we talked about a lot of great stuff, not just related to the impending Game 5 tonight, but also about some things to address for the future for the Knicks. Yeah, Alex, this episode actually ended up being a lot about the future. We, we take a look at whether this series changed our opinion of Tibbs as a coach, whether it exposed anything um, that might be an issue down the road and not just with this team in this particular series. Stacy made a very good analogy um, on, on how to think about how Tibbs approached the season and, and made a very astute point about how it might not be how he approaches future seasons. And then we get more into the roster and, and what the current limitations are of this group and how they could be fixed going into next season. All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team, every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes! Tucks left. Now fires it. He's good! And he's fouled! It's tough! And he makes it Anthony for three. All right, welcome into Locked On Knicks. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app on iOS or Android. It's on both now. And join us this week on Thursday at 5.30 p.m., our usual time slot. The Knicks will either have their season just ended on Wednesday night or be heading into a Game 6 with the Hawks on Friday. So there'll be a lot to talk about regardless. Join us there. Uh, Locker Room changing the way we talk sports. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He's Gavin Shaw, play-by-play, man-by-day, podcaster by night. And we are joined by a very special guest today. We have Stacey Patton, who you might know on Twitter as at StaceyPatton89, writer for The Strickland and co-host of the Pod Strickland podcast. Stacey, what's going on? How are you? How are you feeling going into game five tonight? Sanguine. That's a $5 word. Uh, Stoic? I don't know. I I got a lot of my just I can't believe we're losing this team out of the system. So, no, I'm just uh, we'll see what happens one game at a time. Very zen. Very uh, Phil Jackson of you, if I may say. Um, (laughs) But the the coach version. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I I, I don't want to dawdle too long. Like, you know, obviously the. I just said it, the situation's dire, you know, like the Knicks, it's it's do or die in this game. It's do or die for every game that will follow in this series now. You either win or you're out. That's it, period. Single elimination for three games, if you can even bring it that far. I mean, what's your, Gavin and I have talked about our feelings on this enough in the last week. What's your, like, confidence interval even to win game five? You know, do you think that there's a, there's a decent chance they're going to win it, a good chance? Do you think there's, you know, a small chance they're going to win it? Like, do you think that they have the juice after these last two games where they just, I mean, there's no other way to put it. They got embarrassed twice in Atlanta. I mean, they got absolutely played off the floor by Atlanta in both games. Do you think that they have enough left to take one more game and push this to a game six? Or do you you think that the season ends in this game five at home? 
Um, gun to my head, I think they push it to six. Um, I think Atlanta may also not have the intensity. Atlanta knew that we, we have home court advantage, and I think they stepped on the throttle. Um, I could see us, them falling back a little bit. Um, you know, at some point, the Knicks have to shoot better. Um, I think Tommy Beer had a good thread today, just showing Julius Randle's stats on on wide open attempts. So shout out to Tommy Beer. But for the series so far, on wide open shots, Julius Randle is one for seven. Granted, only seven attempts. So maybe you say the Hawks are limiting his wide open attempts. And he's eight of 29 on open field goals, right? So I know we've seen, like, he's, I've noticed that, like, those mid-rangers were, like, you know, the, the shots he was making, he's missing those. But even when he's open and wide open, he's completely missing those. And he was 45% and 44% on those, which he's shooting you know, 27, 14 on uh, these um, in the playoffs. I, I think that has to regress to the mean at some point. Because that's not all just Atlanta, right? Um, there's a similar story for RJ. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, would will the, the Hawks show up with the same intensity they did when they, like, I think they will get a little comfortable. So I would put it, you asked me confidence in a row, I'd put it 55 or 60 with a plus 20 or minus 20 in either direction. Um, but that's, I, 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 I'd give the Knicks very little chance to win the series, but a good chance to win game five. Yeah, so let's go, let's go bigger picture on this for a second, because I, I think I'm with you, Stacy, that the Knicks are somewhat overmatched, and if you want to make a case that they're not overmatched, there would be requisite adjustments that it seems like might be a little bit beyond what Tom Thibodeau is, is willing to do. I was going to say comfortable, but that feels like the wrong word to say in a, in a do-or-die situation, because you shouldn't be too comfortable with anything when, when you're down three to one in a series. But assuming they don't make that adjustment, assuming maybe they win game five and then fall game six in Atlanta, looking forward, what I kind of wanted to touch on and get into is how does this series change your perception of Tibbs as a coach? Because I thought there was a really good conversation about this on, on Pod Strickland. Great episode. They had uh, Mike Prada on. It was it was really, really informative. And I heard uh, Schwinn w- was kind of talking about, like, you know, like, I, I don't really think this necessarily reflects negatively on Tibbs because this team so dramatically overachieved and on one hand in in a holistic sense I agree with him like I I think you can't you can't knock the job Tibbs did based on four games and in a matchup with the team that I would argue I know some some have pushed against I think Stacey you you disagree with this to some extent if I'm remembering correctly Um, I would say has a bit more talent especially without Mitchell Robinson but where, where I do take issue is our concern with Tibbs when we first hired him was that he is very set in his ways. And and to some extent, he proved that wrong in, in a whole bunch of different capacities this year. But now in the playoffs, it feels like the big adjustment to be made that I, I threw out after, I think, game two, maybe after game three, was that they're going to need to play some centerless minutes or, or minutes with Randall or Obi at the five. And he seemed pretty unwilling to do that. And other people have said, all right, well, let's see what he does next postseason. Let's see what he does next season. I think my worry is I, I don't see what would change down the road. I think the counter argument to that is you, you've played one way all season, and it's a lot to go to a dramatic change during the playoffs. And that's the same thing we've seen with Mike Budenholzer in Milwaukee, where part of the reason they're succeeding this year, outside of the fact that they replaced Eric Bledsoe with Drew Holiday, is that he started inputting those changes during the season. And if I'm going to take that argument a step further, 
you, you can make the case that the reason Tibbs didn't make those adjustments during the season is it would have cost the Knicks a couple of games. And given the Knicks' talent level, they really couldn't afford that because they maybe would have been a better team going into the playoffs, but that wouldn't have really mattered if they were playing Milwaukee. Anyways, I'm throwing a lot at you, Stacy. but what, what do you make of that whole hodgepodge of a question I'm sending your way? This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I'll be hosting rooms for Locked On Knicks once a week, as will Alex. So yes, you, you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to every day on here. Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll have a chance to chat with both of us, and you'll definitely, because we've been doing it every time, be featured on an episode of Locked On Knicks through our Locker Room conversation. So be sure to join us this week, as we do every week, Thursday at 5.30. We will either be talking about the Knicks fighting hard and saving their season and an impending game six in a do-or-die situation in Atlanta, or maybe we'll be talking about what the offseason is going to be look like. Anyways, that'll be Thursday at 5.30. So go download the Locker Room app now. Currently available on all iOS devices and newly on Android. So be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. You can follow me at Gavin Dash Shaw, Alex at Alex Wolf, to be notified when our room goes live. I know you won't want to miss it again Thursday, 5.30. I can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on the Knicks. So we'll see you there. Locker room, changing the way we talk sports. And today's show is also brought to you by rockauto.com. You know, I'm sure that you've, if you're like me, gone to fix something on your car some point or another, and you go into one of those brick and mortar auto parts stores, go up to the counter, get asked a bunch of questions you don't know the answer to, get a quote that blows you away because it's so much more expensive than you thought things were going to be. Then you have to wait for the part and the part gets shipped to them. You have to go pick it up at their store. It's a huge hassle. You end up spending a ton of money, wasting a whole bunch of time. Dealing with you know pushy salespeople that are trying to push you towards more expensive parts. And it's just not a fun experience. That's where rockauto.com comes in. If you're looking to get, say, a fuel pump assembly for your 05 to 2010 Honda Odyssey, that will cost you $354 at Advanced Auto Parts and just $216.79 at rockauto.com. I already talked, too, about you know my gas cap. Uh, only cost about half at Rock Auto compared to what it was going to cost on Amazon. They beat Jeff Bezos. It's, he's, they thought it was impossible. It's not. Uh, RockAuto.com is also a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. So if you want to check out what's available for your car or truck, go to RockAuto.com right now. Check it out. And if you decide to pick up a part, write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. And now back to our conversation with Stacey Patton. Yeah, and we've had a lot of good threads. And the sad thing is some of them have gotten testy. Um, after, you know, with most, all of us are frustrated, right? Um, this wasn't the way this series went. Um, so to, to your point about the Hawks being talented, I guess it did rub me the, not what you said, but people saying that rubbed me, rubbed me the wrong way because I was like, so I maintained at the beginning of the series, um, I think I've been proven wrong. Um, but I thought if you have a three-level scoring wing who can play make enough and switch on defense, that's more valuable than a 6-1 guard who flops. 
and is an incredible passer and good pull-up shooter, I, I would have taken, I thought Julius Randle was better than Trey Young at the beginning of the series. It hasn't borne out that way. Um, I think that was maybe a controversial take to a lot of national people. There were probably Knicks fans that agreed with me. Um, but, uh, you know, for whatever reason, that hasn't happened. I think that the bigger reason at the beginning of the series where I thought there wasn't as big a talent disparity is they had more people who could create shots, but they had more defensive liabilities too, right? And when we look back on the series, there have been times when they're playing Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Collins, and Trey all together, and you can't score, <laughs> you know? Um, that is the, the, um, that's been the frustrating part. But if you watch the film, it's not like Tibbs is unaware of this, right? Tried to get Reggie attacking Trey. He's not adept at that. Um, and tried to force Trey to switch. You know, the Hawks know it's coming. So I think that's been difficult. So the adjustments that there are to be made, I think there's a couple, right? Um, the two obvious ones would be play RJ Burks and Barrett together. Or sorry, uh, did I say that? No, <laughs> RJ Burks and Rose together, not RJ Burks and Barrett. Um, so that Trey cannot hide anywhere. And the other one is go small, which you alluded to. The first one, the problem which people do allude to is, yeah, but the trade-off is, you know, Reggie hasn't been great on Trey, but none of those three guys can guard him. Um, so you, you, that's a trade-off there, right? Uh, and then the other one, in terms of going big, is now we can actually, sorry, I, I took two minutes without answering question. Um, so there's this something I've been thinking about a little bit, um, which is about like the fox and the hedgehog. Um, maybe both of you are familiar with this. Uh, but th- there's an old poem um, from like, I believe a Russian poet, uh, it essentially boils down to like the fox knows many things and the hedgehog knows one big thing. Um, so the, the point of that being that uh, if you think about a hedgehog, if it goes into danger, it has its spikes and that's a very powerful thing. You don't want to fuck with a hedgehog when its spikes are out. So that works 99% of the time. The 1% it doesn't, it has no other plan. Whereas foxes, they figure out a bunch of different ways to survive. And this was highlighted pretty extensively in this book by this guy called Philip Tetlock, who described that, you know, people who people can either think like foxes, where they're like more unsure, where they're like signing probabilities to how they weigh things and all that, um, and, you know, take from a bunch of different sources, or people are hedgehogs where they have one winning strategy and stick to it. And his point was that for predictions, Foxes did a little bit better. But here, I think that, it de- like, which one would you rather be? I tweeted this and someone was like, which is better? Well, I think it depends on the situation. I think when the situation is when, how many years have people been saying we lack an identity about the Knicks, right? That's been the criticism for 10 years, maybe longer, right? So he established an identity. And part of that identity was establishing that night in, night out, we're going to repeat the same things. We're going to get better at it, and we're going to win as many games as we can. And that's what they did. Uh, the trade-off is now you haven't tried those other things. You haven't done the Fox thing. So, uh, you know, to go with that analogy, I think if you want to just – if you're a bad team and you want to get as much as you can and, like, grow, um, it's better to be a hedgehog. If you want to design yourselves that, you know, you have a chance to succeed against a diversity of teams um, in the playoffs – you want to be a fox. And this season, Tibbs was a hedgehog. I think where I disagree with most people is that means he's going to be a hedgehog or he's going to like 
continue to be my like one way because I think he gets it. I think he gets that you'd like to play Randall and Obi, but Obi Obi wasn't ready early in the year, and we we could have played we could have played games where Obi and Randall played together, and we might have lost to teams like the Cavs, right? If they put Drummond in at the same time or whatever, we might have lost some of those games. I mean, we end up with thirty seven or thirty eight games, thirty seven or thirty eight wins, um, not as high you know of a mark. And you end up playing someone like Milwaukee anyway. Um, so that trade-off, I don't think it's easy to say one way or the other. It'll be interesting to see next year whether he does. All right, now that we have this in place, now that we might add a couple of pieces, I think he might change from that. Um, but um, I think in, in a perfect, if this was his third or fourth year and you're like still doing very stubborn stuff, We'd be more upset, but it's 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 his first year, and he, he we've wanted him to build an identity, and he did that. And these are some of the sacrifices you have to make. Sorry, that was a lot. So I'll, I'll pause. No, that's cool. I mean, that's that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. The the whole fox and hedgehog thing. Uh, consider the, uh, the the Strickland article greenlit uh, about <laughs> that concept because that was very fascinating to listen to. Um, yeah, I I think that. With Tibbs, the main thing, the main thing that I'm going to worry about going forward is just, and I mean, it's, <laughs> I feel like we beat this dead horse so much this year, but the Alfred Payton thing is the one thing that really makes me wonder from this whole season, you know, that I'm going to be thinking about his decision to start Alfred Payton at every possible opportunity until playoffs game three, all the way through this off season, because it's very worrisome to me, like. I just don't understand what his what his thinking was this whole time. I can understand, you know, you said like Obi Toppin, everybody wants to see him play at the five a little bit, you know, and see this like Julius Randle and Obi Toppin lineup. And to be fair to Tibbs, he did try it early in the year and it was terrible. It was like unwatchable. They didn't play any defense. Uh, you know, Obi just wasn't ready for that at that point. And, you know, it was it was obvious that he just didn't understand the NBA game at a high enough level to be out there, I would say, like, without a doubt, out of position at the five uh, at that time. Now I think he's learned enough about the game and how to manage his weaknesses and play up his strengths that I think that he could probably play some small ball five and not get, I mean, against like a Clint Capella, he would probably get annihilated. But against some of the lesser centers in the league or other teams that play kind of small, I think he could hold his own out there at this point and provide a little bit of rim protection, which is wild. John, I mean, they've played Gallinari at the five. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's that's the thing where I don't understand why Tibbs hasn't at least given that a shot during this series at one point or another. But in a way, I can sort of understand it just being like, we haven't gone to that since like game 10, uh, you know, or whatever, whenever the last time that he ran that somewhat extensively was. And even when I say extensively, it was for like, three, four minute stretches early in the season, he would, he would throw that lineup out there. Um, but the elf thing is like, you know, I, Schwinn has pointed this out a bunch of times. I've seen like on Slack and on Twitter and, and I'm sure on the pod and stuff, like just, I'm sure. Oh, you don't listen to us. I I don't, I don't always. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. I've been well on the record about this. (laughs) I host one. I don't really listen, (laughs) but anyway, um, you're not locked on pod Strickland. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not locked on Pod Strickland. No, I, I do edit it sometimes, though, so I catch it then. But at any rate. All right, guys, we are going to take one final break with Stacy, and we wanted to tell you about one of our favorite sponsors, Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. 
Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use our promo code Locked On. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. The idea that, you know, Tibbs is now having to figure out a guard rotation in the middle of a playoff series because he didn't experiment with anything during the season. He didn't go to, you know, any interesting guard lineups. He didn't start Derrick Rose early enough to then be like, okay, so what's a suitable backup combination for this group, you know, that when Derrick Rose is getting a rest? Or he didn't try starting like quickly, for example, which I know you would be very in favor of because you're a huge quickly guy. You know, you could have started quickly and had him just basically out there for the shooting to allow Randall to run the offense. And then, you know, sort of had Rose come in there still off the bench. And Rose could then still close games and stuff if you want him to. But, you know, he he could still get that second unit uh, burn there and, you know, be able to set up guys there, play with Obi, who he has a great chemistry with, um, play with, you know, uh, Taj Gibson, who obviously he has a great chemistry with, all that stuff. You know, so there was all these different permutations you could have tried during the season. And Tibbs instead, for whatever reason, decided that starting out for Peyton was really smart and cool and a good thing to do. And even rode the wheels off of him, you know, down the stretch of the regular season when he was like, I mean, I don't think he made more than like two field goals in the last, I don't know, 15 games. Like he wasn't doing anything of value at all period, to end the season. And Tibbs still was just like, nope, got to start him. You know, that's it. All the way up into the postseason, at which point, you know, his postseason minutes started hurting them at the start of halves. And then finally Tibbs said, okay, that's it. And we're going to sit him now. But it's game three of the playoffs now. Like, that's a bad time to make that decision. Um, Because you just, that's the sort of stuff you should have been at least working on a little bit throughout the season. And that, to your point, you know, there were some of these, some of these things where if you would have you know, chosen development over uh, consistency or whatever, you know, if you could, if you had chosen trying Obi Toppin or, uh, you know, trying Kevin Knox or, or Frank even, you know, whatever for extended minutes during the season, you might've cost yourself a couple of games. If he had sat down over Peyton, it would have cost the team nothing. It would have helped the team no matter who you put in there. Every, every single other available option would have been a bigger positive than having Alf out there. So, I mean, what, how do you feel just about that? You know, just, is that something that worries you as well going into next year? Cause I know that uh, uh, certain things, I agree. I think that he really milked this roster for what he could get. And it got them a four seed. That was extremely exciting. They may have maxed out, or I, I won't even say may, they did max out during the regular season. And ultimately we're seeing that kind of bear out now where they didn't have another gear, didn't have any new wrinkles to kind of throw in to, to throw the Hawks off in the playoffs and the Hawks did have some wrinkles to throw at the Knicks and it's, it's really killed them on both ends of the floor. Um, so I, I get that much, but the elf thing is, it is really going to bother me. And I, I, I hope that there are no situations like that going forward, but if we have essentially one elf situation per year, it will make me worry about Tibbs going forward. If he has these sort of like blind spots, but what do you think about all that? 
Um, um Gavin, I, I, I'll give you a chance if you uh, if you have a thought on that. Now, go. I've, <laughs> I've I've almost I think I've exhausted myself talking about Alfred Payton. I, I don't know if I have anything to add at this point. What, what, what about you, Stacy? Yeah. Um, so the exception to everything I said, where I understood what Tibbs was doing uh, and we need to build an identity, is Alfred Payton. Um, yeah. What can you say? Right. Um, it was. Would we have if we didn't start Alfred Payton? If you told me that we played Obi Toppin at the four at the five, or we played Obi with Randall, I would. And you told me we lost two or three extra games because of it. I would have believed you. Um, if you told me we removed Alfred Payton from the rotation, especially after Rose was added, but uh, certainly uh, even before that, I would have said, "How many more games did we win?" Right. Uh, I certainly wouldn't have believed if you said that we lost more games because of that. Uh, and it's not just quickly. Um, Burks is a better point guard than him. Um, I I think a lot of people are saying Frank would have turned the series or whatever. I don't know if I'm there, but it does seem like a waste of an asset for, again, someone I don't think gave us any extra wins. So what was the rationale behind that? I will say that is the black mark on this season for Tibbs. Not there is no black marks on the season for the Knicks as an organization, but if I'm evaluating, I that um, because besides certain Twitter people, and that was another shitty take. Oh well, we benched Elf and we lost, so clearly that was the problem. <laughs> to be clear, it was like Alpha Payton's mom <laughs> spearheading that. No, movie. I've seen. I've seen. <laughs> I don't want to call anyone out because I also have some unflattering names for the people I would call out, but it was not just Alfred Payton's mom to be clear. Um, and yeah, they're like, well, you changed one thing and it fucked everything up. Like, no, like you really think Alfred Payton needed to start with that unit. You really think like it, it really comes down Sorry, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really comes down to people who shit on Emmanuel quickly. That's what it comes down to, right? It's the belief that we could never have given him reps during the season. Um, he's not good enough. And it, it, the idea that Alfred Payton brings something to any lineup that Emmanuel quickly doesn't is ridiculous. Um, I don't think he's a better defender at this point. He is bigger and stronger, but he doesn't fight through screens the same way. Um he's marginally a better passer, but not really. Their assist rates are the same, and Alfred missed a ton of players this year. Um, he's better at getting to the rim and missing, right? If he finished more than 47% at the rim, I might add some value to that, but he doesn't, right? So um, there is nothing he does better than Emmanuel quickly. Um, and, so, and, and, you know, I, I was pounding. I wanted Burks to start and keep Rose and quickly on the bench together. But I, I think if there's anything it proves, it's that, you know, you don't want quickly or quickly right now. I think one day he'll get there. I think you two are the people who I've gone on this pod and are, are some of the highest on quickly or along with me. So I remember I asked Alex, like, what's your, uh, what's your ceiling for quickly? And I was not expecting the answer I got, but he said stuff, right? So we're all pretty high on quickly, but he's not, quite where you want him on an island by himself. So he would have been good in the starter lineup, but some, same with Burks, right? But that wasn't tried nearly enough in the regular season, clearly. 
or you know to the extent it was tried it was it was what i mentioned right it would be point burks or you know to lesser extent point quickly but they didn't try the bench without rose and that's something you would have liked to see more reps on and you know at this point if you want to call that a black mark on tibbs fine i think it does you know when you look at the draft um, one guy who I think you, you guys were pitched on, because I do listen to your pod, Alex. Um, you guys were pitched on a little bit by PD Webb was Jaden Springer. And that's who I've been thinking about a little bit at this as this guy who kind of fits the Knicks' needs in terms of he gives you the bigger point of attack defender that Tibbs wants. Um, he gives you the, I think, I believe in a shot enough to think he will space the floor. But he can also attack closeouts. And that's what the Knicks have missed, right? Um, in this series, why did Tibbs start Elf? If I had to give a rationale, it's because Elf is a bigger, stronger defender. Um, in theory, right? Um, he doesn't act that way. You know, Give him a six foot nine Gallinari screening him, and it'll be like, ah, you know, you fall over like he's Trey Young. Um, but, you know, he, he's bigger and stronger. So Tibbs clearly wants that. So Springer gives you that. Um, he can hit an open three, but also what Reggie Bullock and a lot of others have not been able to do is he can attack a closeout and he can finish at the rim. He finished 65% in college. So he's not a player you can hide Trey Young on. So that's what it's led me to believe that that might shape how they, I just named one draft prospect, but that's how they might start to look at free agency. Um, but like the TLDR to that is, yeah, like, um, the Elf thing is, is a black mark on what Tibbs did this year, both from a winning standpoint as well as trying to prepare the team. And um, nobody's perfect. Yeah, my biggest takeaway is is they need to find a way to put five threats on the floor simultaneously. And I, I know that's not really breaking news, but watching Trey Young just be able to camp out on Reggie Block this whole series has been painful. And the, the Knicks really don't have a way to weaponize it, not only because – I mean, Reggie really all he does off the dribble is shoot mid-range jumpers, but he's just not a very good decision maker. It was sort of epitomized in that one play where him and RJ had the two-on-one fast break and Reggie traveled instead of making the pass back or, or, or finishing. And there were a bunch of times this year where he had really bad turnovers in the backcourt. And to some extent, and this was a point that was also made on Pod Strickland, you sort of get what you pay for. And Reggie maximized his abilities in a, in a really significant and special way down the stretch of the season – but we, we kind of got our answer on whether or not his shooting could translate to playoff basketball. And because he's not really a movement shooter and his success was so contingent on that two-man game with Randall, and, and that's mostly been snuffed out by high-level scouting and, and just enough attention paid to it, it, it hasn't worked. And to me, I mean, the answer is you got to get players who, I mean, where simply attention is not enough to blow up one of the core tenets of your offense. And again, obvious like every team wants a talent upgrade but I just think the idea of being really well-rounded is especially crucial to the Knicks just because they don't have that frontline talent as of now and and maybe that's something by the start of next year maybe they now it's looking less likely maybe they get a Kawhi Leonard and all of a sudden you you don't even have to think about that anymore but I I think it's a theme throughout the entire postseason you're even seeing it like you can I mean talk speaking of the Clippers you can see in the Clippers Mavs series like when the Clippers have gotten rolling it's because they take Vika Zubac off the floor and all of a sudden they have five guys offensively who can burn you and 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 I think that's also the philosophy behind going small it's trading defense to offense to some extent 
And, and that's where I think that's sort of my concern slash bugaboo with Tibbs, like even, even like ignoring the fact that they didn't get to those lineups a lot in the regular season, it, it's sort of why I think he continued to play elf, even though Frank's a much better defender, but that's another story. Um, it, it's that he's unwilling to make that trade off for defense to offense. And I think to win big in the NBA or to win relatively big or, or at the very least in, in the simplest terms to outperform your talent, you do have to make that trade off somewhat. I will say this. I think a healthy Mitchell Robinson sort of renders that point moot. And that's the luxury of having him is that defensively he can hold his own and offensively while he's not quote unquote, like a traditional, like throw the ball to and and he'll do something with it. Like the, the real star centers in the NBA are, he is someone you have to account for. And and really the key to the Hawks success defensively this series is that they haven't had to account for the Knicks centers and Clint Capella or whoever is in when Clint Capella is out can completely shade towards the ball and count on the fact that an injured Nerlens Noel and a 35 year old Taj Gibson aren't going to beat them over the top with lobs. And the Knicks have, have played right into that by continuing to play those two. So that's again, a big macro point, but Stacy, are, are you, are you sort of with me that that would like, I mean, if, if you're looking at how you build the neck, the roster next season, how you allocate all the cap space for the Knicks, maybe it's worth it to sort of go a Hawks direction and find your version of a Bogdanovich or Gallinari to round out your roster off- offensively, or, or maybe, maybe you'd argue the opposite. And like what you argued going into the series that, inevitably that trade-off like doesn't really get you all that far. And it just sort of like trading offense for defense. And it doesn't really change anything about your long-term future as, as a franchise or, or whether or not you win a specific series. Yeah. So there was a lot um, that you said. Um, the one thing I will push back and say I don't agree on is I don't think like specifically with Frank, you can argue this with quickly, right? But I don't think Frank not starting was about not wanting to trade off offense for defense. I think it was the opposite, right? I, I mean, I think Frank has improved a lot, and I think Alfred Payne is not a good offensive player. Um, I'm not sure I'm willing to flat out say Frank would be a more productive offensive player than. Oh, oh yeah. To be clear, I wasn't. I was just kind of using as an example. I was saying like, oh, if your only priority was defense, why wouldn't he start? I, I wasn't making that case. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think that's what most people. But like, I think it like there is some logic to it where it's like he's not so offense focused that he would go with quickly over Peyton. Um, but he's not so defense focused where he would sacrifice that for Frank. I think in I both cases, since both of them are better shooters and we run the offense through Randall, for us, it's a much easier decision. Um, but I think he still wants someone who can attack those closeouts, which is, again, why I brought up Springer as I think he kind of fits the best of both worlds type of thing. Um, in terms of how to look at the roster, so before the series... And, and for much of this season, I would have said, you know, people wanted us to sign Evan Fournier, right? And I was like, we're paying Reggie Bullock $6 million a year. We might have to pay Fournier 15 20 Is he two and a half times better than Reggie? Is he $14 million better than Reggie? Um, and my answer would have been a no. Um, now you see, well, it's not quite so cut and dry, right? Maybe in the regular season that holds. But, um, you know, there was a great clip. I think Schwinney posted this, but it's, it's been circulated before. But uh, Bob Myers, the, the Golden State Warriors GM, talks about the difference in playoff players and regular season players, right? So in the playoffs, when they can scout, they're going to take away your, your first option. They're going to uh, close out harder, right? So where you have two feet in the regular season, you got two inches. Um, 
you know, and it's and the, the rotations are tighter, right? So you're more likely to be facing first string guys, and that is where Reggie is right on the threshold where he's falling below. And to an extent, Burks is too. I think you know, I think if he was in that Reggie role with more initiators, Burks would actually look better. But you're seeing that Reggie like is a very very good shooter. He is not a great shooter, and that's that difference. Um, he's not a great defender because he can, he'll try and he'll hang with Trey and make him take tough shots. But the guys who are going to hit tough shots and you need to do, you need to stop those tough shots from happening. He can't do that. So going forward, but like, so I think most people would agree. We want if, if possible in the same package, but a shot creator who can take pressure off Randall and a wing with versatility who can shoot, right? And if someone, can, if there's a wing who can do all of those things, um, well, you just hope Uncle Dennis is not happy that they're losing to <laughs> Luka Doncic. But <laughs> well, they're not losing. Um, but you know, um, barring that, there is no perfect fix, right? Um, and I think to your point, like wing is kind of a problem. Um, and what do you do? You could overpay Gary Trent or Norm Powell, but you know, what they might give you in offensive upgrades. Are they playoff difference makers? I'm not sold on that. And especially considering I have to pay them $20 million. I'm not sold that Bogdanovich is either, by the way. I think he has a good matchup this series. Um, so in terms of what I would do, um, we have three draft picks. I would probably try to package two of them. Two first rounders to get someone like Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon. And then, um, you know, get. I think that there will be where we are in the draft, from what I've looked at, there's a lot of good guards available, um, but they all are flawed in some way, right? So there is Sharif Cooper, who looks the part of an offensive engine, but he's 5'11", and he's going to be a liability on defense. And while I buy the jump shot long-term, he was a terrible three-point shooter in college, um, although a good free-throw shooter. You have Jared Butler, who is a very good shooter, a solid passer, but he's not very big, and... I don't believe he's going to get to the rim with consistency. Alex, you can ask Presidente to give you the other side of that, and I'm sure he'll gladly with me. You have Trey Mann as a great pull-up shooter at six six, but um, not the uh, you know doesn't have the all-rounded game for you to believe he can run an offense. And then you have someone like Springer who doesn't have the explosiveness or the passing ability, right? So you have these kind of it's and at, at, at nineteen and twenty one, you're not finding a point guard of the future, right? Um, it's tough. And even if we did, I mean, Killian Hayes was everyone's dream last year. He struggled this year. He's not going to come into a playoff team. Um, so that solution is tough. Um, like just, just that initiator, maybe you do Lowry, maybe you try to, maybe Leon can work some magic and get Paul to opt out. But barring that your options are like overpaying Dennis Schroeder. And like for, I know there's a large contingent at the Strickland that wants to pay Schroeder. Um, I think that he turned down a pretty big contract from the Lakers and he is probably looking for something like four for 80, which I would not do. So what would my ideal thing be? Um, I would probably take, yeah, I mean, this would be talked about this on the Strickland's chat. Maybe take a flyer on a guy like Malik Monk. Um, we are bringing back Luca Valdoza now, right? So we'll be able to see what he's doing. Um, happy to chat about that a little bit. Um, I would probably draft a wing at some point. Um, and yeah, I mean, besides point guard, I would say in the draft, like a wing. And then there's a guy named Usman Garuba who is like a six, nine undersized five who can shop block. I would love to see if we didn't have to bring back Noel, 
I'd love to see how he looks next to Obi, right? Providing that rim protection. So Tibbs is maybe comfortable with that, right? But um, in terms of just the off-season priorities for me, I named a few names, but they're mostly finding another initiator, either at the guard or the wing spot, to take pressure off Randall, uh, finding an actual 3 and D wing. And like when I say that, I think we know now, given we talked about the difference between like Reggie 3 and D and like a playoff 3 and D wing. So find that playoff 3 and D wing if you can, or draft someone who can be that. And then the last thing is if there is a big who can give us more lineup flexibility, whether that's being able to play him with Obi, whether that's him being a shooter that allows him to stay out, um, outside like a stretch five and let Randall attack. I, I would like a five, four person that can give us some lineup flexibility so that we don't end up in this situation where we can't exploit John Collins or Gallo at the five. All right. And that's it for this episode with Stacy Patton of the Strickland and Pod Strickland. Uh, but we've got another really good episode coming up for you guys just later today. We decided to split this into two parts, get it out before game five. Make sure you guys have plenty of stuff to listen to. So in the second part, it's a lot more forward looking. We talk about Luca Vildoza a bit and how his impact could, you know, affect the Knicks' decision making as far as who to draft, who to sign, that sort of thing. We talk about whether Julius Randle is worth a max contract and sort of define what max contract means, because depending on when Julius Randle signs his contract, uh, that that dollar amount could potentially fluctuate by almost $10 million per season, uh, depending on if he signs an extension or if he waits until free agency and signs a free agent contract. Uh, so there's a lot more to get into in the second episode. It will be out in your feeds a little bit later today. But if you want something to listen to in between, Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. So that's it for this episode. Again, keep your ears out. We will be back a little later today with our second part with Stacey Patton. Looking forward with the Knicks going into this offseason and beyond.